Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms now wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, good morning. It's Monday, the 21st of November, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you so much for including us in your day. Let me encourage you today with our uh, Growing Your Faith verse of the day from Galatians chapter 5. Remember, um, Galatians is one of the letters of the Apostle Paul to early Christians. In this case, the Christians in Galatia, um, and so we're we're talking about words that were written to a particular people at a particular time and place, but also God's word for all of us. Um, and so when we when we consider what it means for us to receive God's word, let us listen with hearts and ears that are open to what the Holy Spirit has to say to us today. All right? That's the um, that's the lens through which we are. Uh, or the filter through which we are seeking to hear and understand what God has said. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. The whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. We think about the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Um, this liberated from the ultimate penalty of sin, which is eternal death, but also liberated from the power of sin in this life. Right? You, you have been set free. You have been set free in Christ, and that freedom is for a purpose. God doesn't liberate us in order that we could live lives of licentiousness, or um, for those of you like you're saying to your word, you're saying to yourself, well, that is a big word for this morning, license, taking the freedom we've been giving, given as license to do whatever um whatever we will, whatever we will. So, you know, everything, you're free to do anything you want in Christ. You're free, but you're not to use your freedom as license to do evil. And so what does that look like and what does that mean? What does it mean to use the freedom that we've been given to actually build up the body of Christ, to advance the kingdom purposes of God, to bless other people, to um, not to not to bite and devour and destroy, as Paul says here, but to encourage and build up and strengthen. So just consider for a moment, just consider for a moment, the Christian witness in this generation where you live. 
Consider for a moment the Christian witness in this generation where you live. Is it marked by, is it evidenced by people who've been liberated in Christ, those who have been set free, those who know what it means to be free in Christ? Is their witness and testimony marked by a building up, by a love of neighbor, by a serving, by a mercy? Or is it marked by biting and devouring, destroying? Um, It's a good uh, convictional question for us to ask as we stand in front of the mirror and we say to God, you know, thank you so much for the freedom that I have in Christ Jesus, your son, my Lord. Thank you, Father, for the freedom that I have, free from uh, the power and the penalty of sin. Thank you for setting me free. And then to consider exactly how God intends for us to use that freedom. Father, what does it look like today for me to use the freedom you have given me in Christ to build up and not to tear down, to advance your kingdom purposes, always and in all ways? This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Faith Radio. So fill your plate and fill your drink and fill this house with family. The kind of love that all these years can't wash away. All right, we've got a number of headlines to work our way through this morning. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. It's possible that over the weekend, um, you know, you were paying attention to other things. If you're like me, you were, um, you know, working on getting everything ready for this coming week. I've got... Uh, Matthew's class is having their Thanksgiving party tomorrow, so I'm going to be making turkey and ham for that event. And then I've got a group coming Wednesday for a Thanksgiving meal because they're having Thanksgiving somewhere else on Thursday. And then I'm having, you know, another group on Thursday for actual Thanksgiving Day. wonder what your week is consumed with. Um, Also, you know, if you're like me, you're counting the cost this year of, uh, of those items, that are going to be on the Thanksgiving table. We're going to give thanks to the Lord, our God, absolutely. And we're going to thank him for the abundance that we enjoy. We're also going to recognize there's a lot of folks in need. Um, So encouraging each of us and all of us to be not only contributing financially uh, to the needs of others during this season, but recognizing that, um, you know, there's just lots of folks who might want to join you for Thanksgiving meal. So you're saying to yourself, I don't, I don't have any, uh, you know, I'm, I'm planning on having Thanksgiving by myself. Like, don't do that. Like, there's, a, there's, there's somebody else with a seat at their table. Or set a table and invite other people to join you. Like, and have a carry-in. That, that costs, you know, that costs only the cost of, the, of whatever it is you're bringing to the table. But let everybody else um, bring what they can as well. Uh, there's, it seems in a carry-in there's always enough. Right. Especially for those of you who like make that hot dish business, because there's there's always plenty of that to go around. All right. um, Some tragic news uh, this weekend out of Colorado Springs. If you have not heard about this yet, brace yourself. Um, There was a shooting at a nightclub in Colorado Springs on Saturday night. Five people were killed. At least 25 were injured. An individual gunman entered uh, Club Q uh, just before midnight. I think um, significant in this story, you know, is going to be 
the location itself. It's going to take people back to uh, the remembrances related to the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando in June of 2016 because this uh, was a similar place. Club Q was hosting what is described as a drag divas show, um, followed by a DJ night. Um, It was the night before something called Trans Day of Remembrance. And all of that is contributing um, to the conversation related to to, to all of us in this event. So the gunman was um, subdued by people who were there at the club. Um, they took the handgun from him. He was apparently shooting a long gun, but they took a handgun from him um, and and then physically pinned him down until police arrived. And so we want to be thankful for the people who intervened, who certainly prevented further mayhem. But I do want to call into question at least um, a portion of the response, um, because there are other places. I mean, I guess I'm thinking about Idaho, where you know four students were killed weekend before this one. And um, and certainly in Idaho, flags across the state have not been lowered to half-mast and a flag for the University of Idaho is not run up at the Capitol building. But that is what's happening in Colorado. Flags have been ordered in all public buildings across the state to be lowered in honor of um, individuals killed in what is presumed to be um, a hate crime against people of LGBTQ expression. And then the governor's office went on to announce that the pride flag would be raised at the Colorado State Capitol during the five days that the U.S. flag is lowered everywhere across the state. Flags matter. Where flags fly matters. How, fly, how high flags fly in relationship to each other matters. Um, and in the United States of the Mer- uh, in the United States of America, um, traditionally, no flag flies higher than the American flag. For the next five days in Colorado, that won't be true. Um, it just gives me pause, leads me to consider. I think it gives us opportunity for conversations today. Um, certainly, in my own life, the banner over me is the banner of Christ. It's the banner of love. Um, I think it's an opportunity for us as Christians to say, all right, you know what? My allegiance is first to Christ. That's the flag I fly the highest. Um, And the U.S. flag is subordinate to that in my life. I get that. I get that. But every other flag is then subordinate to those two. Like, right, I do think there's an opportunity here to talk about allegiance and, um, and what flags we're flying in our own lives and what flags we're flying um, in our community and collectively as a nation as well. So some some thoughts uh, of that particular headline today. Meanwhile, uh, the American Music Awards, the World Cup, there were a couple of weddings over the weekend. There was a big snowstorm. We're going to talk about some of that up next. Oh, and Hogan's Heroes. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, 
Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Gobble, gobble one. Gobble, gobble two. Gobble, gobble me. All right, Cecile is on the uh, text line this morning, known as Gigi. Uh, to her five grandbabies who are visiting her this week. So you can text me as well what's going on where you are, uh, things you're thankful for and grateful for this week. Counting our uh, counting our blessings is uh, is going to be paramount among what we're going to do this week and this during this Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, Gigi, or Cecile, says she actually got all of Thanksgiving week off as a teacher. Like, that is awesome. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know Thanksgiving break was a whole week. Well, praise God for that. That is fantastic. What's going on with you this morning? You can text me, 877-933-2484. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Let's uh, let's uh, let's survey a few other headlines um, this morning. Most uh, most people actually don't t- tune into the news over the weekend, so I feel like on Monday morning, let's get up to speed on a bunch of things. Here are some things I learned this morning because I wasn't tuned into the news this weekend either. Just to you know, be perfectly frank, um, perfectly frank. I feel like that is a, a good stage name for somebody. I don't know who that is, but good morning, perfectly frank. Taylor Swift swept the American Music Awards last night. She won all six awards for which she was nominated, uh, including Artist of the Year. Um, And then let's see uh, what else. Um, The World Cup is underway in Qatar or Qatar or... Yeah, there's apparently lots of ways to pronounce it. I'm going to call it Qatar. I don't actually know if that's right. Uh, Is it more like guitar or is it more like Qatar? Yeah, anyway. Um... The uh, the World Cup is underway under a backdrop of a lot of controversy related to that nation's human rights record. And so um, most of what you will probably see out of the World Cup um, in terms of headlines is related to what armbands people were or were not wearing. So as of this morning, the captains of England, Wales, Belgium, Denmark, Germany, and the Netherlands will not be wearing the One Love anti-discrimination armband that they had planned to wear in their World Cup opening games um, because FIFA said, uh, if you do that, your captains are going to be given yellow cards at the beginning of the game. And apparently that's not the way you want to start a football game, football being not the kind that we ordinarily play here in the United States, but the one played around the globe. So the announcement came just before the World Cup uh, campaign. Those uh, teams were scheduled to start. This One Love armband is about LGBTQ plus expression. They will, however, be allowed to wear and did wear the No Discrimination campaign armband. And so there you go. They still got to wear an armband that's anti-discrimination. They just didn't get to wear the one that looked like a rainbow. That's uh, basically the headline there. Um, Again, what flag are you flying? What are you on the field to do? What game are you playing? What's this all about? It's a football tournament. Let's keep that in mind. It's a football tournament. Um, And uh, and then I also recognize, though, that it's being played in a stadium where thousands of people lost their lives as migrant workers um, working under terrible conditions and in extreme heat. And so there are genuine human rights concerns to be uh, lifted up in relationship to Qatar, which is one of the world's wealthiest nations per capita, 
um, and yet they failed to pay migrant workers and they sent them home uh, following, uh, they arrested them and shipped them home without paying them, um, the ones who did get home, but thousands never made it home. Like, there's a lot to say about uh, Qatar and its human rights abuses. Um, and maybe, maybe chief among those is not whether or not you get to wear a general anti-discrimination or no discrimination armband or whether or not it must be rainbow colored to declare um, one love. And just to be clear, there ultimately is one love and his name is Jesus. So maybe pivot to that today. Oh, and reclaim the rainbow. Like it actually does mean something biblically and it doesn't mean what people in the culture today assume it means. So in terms of um, conversations related to What do you call that when one cultural expression is appropriated by somebody else? Oh, yes, cultural appropriation. Well, a rainbow is actually um, a sign given by God. You could read Genesis 9 to get the whole story on this. But the rainbow was given by God for a purpose, on purpose and for a purpose, at a particular point in time. And sin had something to do with that conversation, for those who remember the reason for the flood. Um, God set the bow, the rainbow, in the sky as a reminder to himself to never annihilate us again through a global flood because of our sin. Like, when we see the rainbow, we're supposed to be mindful of God and holiness and goodness, not whatever is currently inflaming our pants. Like, it's not about sexual expression and any variety of it. It's about God. And his goodness and who he is and what he expects of us as people made in his image. So, if you want to wear an armband, that's fine. But let's be clear about what the rainbow means and to whom it belongs as a sign and a symbol. Who gave it and for what purpose? So you could reclaim the rainbow today. That might be a good agenda item for you. There was a wedding at the White House over the weekend. That doesn't happen very often. So it's kind of a fun thing to point to and talk about as well. Naomi Biden, granddaughter of President uh, Joe and uh, Jill Biden. Uh, she married Peter Neal. They got married on the South Lawn of the White House on Saturday morning. It was the first wedding for a presidential family member held on the grounds since um, Chelsea Clinton got married there in the... Oh, you remember the Clinton presidency? Some 250 guests, mostly family, close friends. Um, and um, let's see, it, it's expensive. It's expensive to have a wedding, apparently, at the White House. Uh, and people today are spending a lot on their weddings. That seems to be notable in, uh, in, in the conversation about this. The most famous White House wedding involved the Roosevelt family. I didn't know this until I read up on this for today. Alice, daughter of Teddy, she famously said about her dad, he wants to be the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral, and the baby at every every christening. Now, that's kind of fun, right? That's kind of fun to consider. Um, when you think about weddings and funerals and christenings and all kinds of other events. Are you happy to just let the people who are supposed to be at the center of attention, are, are you happy to let them have all the attention? I mean, if you've ever been tempted to wear white to somebody else's wedding, then you you are suffering the same thing that Teddy Roosevelt was suffering, <laughs> the desire to be the center of attention at every event. Um, 
Are you happy to have the last seat? Are you happy to be the person standing at the door? I guess as Christians, that's an important consideration for us. I just want to be in the room with Jesus. I just want to be counted among his. I don't need to be seated at his right hand or at his left hand. I am perfectly happy to be in the last seat at the far end of the table. How about you? How about you? Does it matter to you that, you know, you have some sort of recognized place of honor at an event? Or are you just happy to be in the room? Because I'm, I'm just happy to be in the room. Um, all right. Um, and then I got something to say here about Hogan's Heroes, but I might have to, I might have to save that um, for a little bit later in the day. If you don't know the Hogan's Heroes storyline um, in terms of why it's in the news, this is going to be something you're going to want from the show notes um, uh, to gather. Um, and you're, you can get the show notes every single day at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, the show's posted by noon every day, Central Time, and you can go and get the show notes and good opportunity to share it with others. You could also get it if you subscribe to Mornings with Carmen as a podcast, wherever you get your podcast, then in your podcast description will be the show notes as well. And I'll include the link there about um, this Hogan's Heroes storyline um, and a particular uh, a particular person in the cast who just died, you would remember him as the French prisoner, Corporal Louis Lebeau. His name is Robert Clary, and he just died at the age of 96. But there's something about him that I bet you didn't know that actually makes the comedy Hogan's Heroes deadly serious. I promise to share that with you in a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. So we're going to do the rest of the story really quickly here on the Hogan's Heroes storyline. Um, I want to celebrate the life of Robert Clary. He, pay, he played Corporal Lebeau. He was born in France. He was the youngest of 14 children. Ten of his brothers and sisters and his parents perished in the Holocaust. At the age of 16, Robert Clary was deported to the concentration camp um, at Oltmulth, um, it then and then to Buchenwald. From there, he was liberated in 1945. His other family members died in Auschwitz. He tells his life story in his biography from the Holocaust to Hogan's Heroes, the the autobiography of Robert Clary. And if you um, if you want to know why Hogan's Heroes stands the test of time. It's not just because of the experience of Robert Clary and the authenticity that he brings um, to his role and the power of laughter um, and the power of community and the witness and testimony of people working against all odds um, to support and have mutual concern for one another. He brought something to the set that is really hard to imagine, right? Um. But there are other members of the Hogan's Heroes cast whose backstory also included um, experiences with the Nazis in World War II. Colonel William Klink, the commander of the Stalag, um, has a backstory that's worth knowing. Sergeant, um, Sergeant Schultz has a backstory worth knowing. Um, 
General uh, Burkholder, Klink's superior officer, um, has a backstory worth knowing. All of them, all of them lost family members to the Nazis during World War II. Um, I guess it's important to know people's backstory. So today, um, maybe consider what's going on on the surface and things that you enjoy, but then let's be sure to go deep with people. Let's ask people, like, hey, I just found this out about somebody that, you know, made me laugh and I loved Hogan's Heroes, but here were some things I didn't know about it. I wonder if there's something in your backstory I don't know. Um, What's something about you that really makes you, you? What were those turning points in your life that, um, that God used to as pivot points or points of definition where you really understand yourself differently and interact with the world in a different way? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Next up, we're going to talk with Daniel Bennett. Um, what might you expect uh, in this upcoming season of Congress? Um, yeah. And what's going on in the politics of climate change? Yeah, all of that. Up next, here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, all kinds of people chiming in on the text line this morning. Thank you so much. Um, there's going to be apparently some sort of open debate and throwdown between Jessica and Nancy. Jessica, who deploy, deployed to the nation that is hosting uh, the World Cup. And she says that the locals pronounce it cutter, not like guitar. Mm. Uh, Nancy, however, says, nope, it's like guitar. So, I don't know, Nancy and Jessica, the two of you can have a throwdown about it. And then uh, Jim in Simsbury, Connecticut, chiming in, who apparently went to high school with one of the people in Hogan's Heroes. So, I'm going to need to clearly know more about that, Jim. So, go ahead and uh, text me back more info on that. Joining us now, Daniel Bennett. He's a professor at John Brown University. He's also the author of the Uneasy Citizenship blog. He joins us on a regular basis to help us unpack what's happening at the intersection of faith and public life. Good morning, Daniel. Morning, Carmen. We've covered a lot of terrain before you joined us. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I'm jumping into an already crowded pool this morning. <laughs> well, welcome. The water's warm. Uh, it's uh, it's cold. <laughs> it's cold in Buffalo. We have not covered the fact that up there they got like 80 inches of snow over three days. Right. We did not talk about yes. that yet, but there you go. What are you and I talking about today? What can we expect during the lame duck session of Congress. So why is it a lame duck session or what does that mean? Um, Who is the lame duck here and what can we expect to happen? So in case your listeners hadn't remembered, there was an election a couple of weeks ago and we elected. Is it uh, it finally over? It it, it is. Well, supposedly. uh, (laughs) Yes, we have we have a new Congress set to take effect uh, early January. And uh, once, you know, they're they're sworn in. Uh, you know, the Republican Party will control the House of Representatives and the Democratic Party will control the United States Senate. We will have divided government again uh, for the first time in the Biden era. Um, But after the fall or after the November elections, every election uh, and before the January uh, new Congress takes effect, uh, we have this several week period where we have Congressmen and senators who some of whom may be leaving because they were voted out of office. They may be retiring. Uh, the majority might be ready to be you know, switching in the next Congress. 
But there is this period where Congress is expected to, you know, legislate and do work. And so that's what we mean by lame duck agenda or lame duck Congress. This idea that uh, the, the, the work of this particular Congress is being shaped by the results of the election as well as the impending uh, changes to Congress coming in just a few weeks. So when we think about um, the power of of the presidential pen, I guess, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking about here is it, it almost doesn't matter if um, if Congress is the two houses of Congress are divided, if they are able to achieve um, some piece of legislation that the president still doesn't like, he can just veto it because none of these are going to be veto proof. No. Yeah. I mean, I think what we might see, uh, I think we'll probably see fewer vetoes uh, than in uh, a a type of Congress that's controlled entirely by the opposition party. It's unlikely, Mm. for example, for the for the uh, Senate controlled by Democrats to send President Biden a piece of legislation that he is likely to veto just by virtue of trying to protect the strength of the presidency. Democrats are going to want to try to insulate him from that. But what we could see is a slowdown. And I I imagine what we will see is a slowdown in big pieces of legislation that are even remotely controversial, because like you said, there are very, very slim margins uh, in both chambers of Congress for the next Congress. Uh, The House of Representatives is controlled by Republicans, but it's a really narrow majority and the same with the Democratic Party. So I think we'll see a slowdown in legislation. The, the, the goal is, of course, that there can still be legislation on the bare bones, keeping the government funded, uh, raising the debt ceiling so that the United States doesn't default on the money that it's already uh, appropriated to spend. Um, but in lame duck sessions, going back to this, you do see sometimes opportunities for uh, representatives and senators who know that things are about to change all of a sudden get in a, get get the sense that, okay, we have a few weeks to try to push something through in our last hurrah, so to speak, and uh, try to get that to the president's desk before, say, Christmas. Okay, can we um, pivot and have a conversation about the climate and um, and the way that religion either informs or is informed by the climate conversations that happen today? Because as soon as I say climate or climate change, um, people uh, respond like in a visceral way because they are they make assumptions one way or another that they're going to like automatically disagree. Um, and I think as Christians, we do have a concern for the climate. We're stewards of the whole thing. Yeah, and I think the Pew Research Center, uh, that the study that you're alluding to, uh, they they published research just uh, last week, and I would encourage uh, listeners to check this out, um, how religion intersects with Americans' view on the environment. Um, a lot of data in here showing the range of beliefs about climate and climate change broken down by religious tradition. And one of the things that jumps out to me when looking at this data, and there's a lot we can parse and go through here, but the, the the thing that really jumps out to me is the way in which climate and climate change has become almost a, a perfect avatar for partisanship and partisan identity uh, intersecting with religion. So there's a lot of research that shows that across religious traditions, we're seeing more and more uh, 
political mapping of certain issues, whether it's a marriage or abortion, uh, obviously those cultural issues, but also something as uh, maybe non-cultural as tax rates or immigrate or immigration education spending, things like this. Uh, and climate is basically approaching those types of levels with uh, white evangelicals, for example, uh, much more skeptical that climate change is a man-made phenomenon uh, and uh, just generally skeptical that government should do something about it. Um, and uh, other religious traditions uh, being a little bit more uh, concerned about it. But we can talk about that intersection. We could talk about what the implications are for Christians. We could go in any number of directions with this. Well, let's start with this. How would you answer the question or where would you find yourself or how would you find yourself in a discussion about a question like, is the earth sacred? Because that's actually like one of the starting Mm -hmm. points here. And I think when we talk about the sacredness of something, we're having a different conversation than um, than politics might lead us, uh, you know, than our than our political inclinations might lead us to. So. Let's have a conversation about the relative sacredness of the earth. I feel like you could write a book about this. I, right. I feel like you could have a you know a theological, uh, really rich te- uh, text about this. My initial impression, frankly, is a little bit of uh, unease about the use of the word sacred mm-hmm. um, because of the you know maybe contemporary connotations, and it almost sounds a little new agey to me. Um, mm-hmm. But that's but that said, if we believe that God created the heavens and the earth, which we do, uh, then you know there's certainly something important about that. Uh, obviously, you know, people are created in the image of God, and there is an undeniable sacredness that comes with the Imago Dei. Um, but with the earth and the stars and the waters and animals, there is this creativity that comes with God's uh, creation. And I think that's something that we ought to be paying attention to more rather than seeing the earth as something simply to be dominated and, uh, and, and used for our own purposes, rather to reflect on uh, that creative process that went into making the earth as it is. That's my initial reaction. Yeah, I think that um, I had a similar reaction. Like I had to think about the question Um, If I were asked, you know, how would you respond to a question like, is the earth sacred? Um, uh, You know, I would say it's a sacred trust for sure. (laughs) It's a it is much like children, like, right. It's a sacred trust um, given for our flourishing, given for God's glory, uh, over which I have responsibility and stewardship under under the authority of God. Um, yeah, I mean, but, you know, surveys don't allow for all of that nuance. So I think that's a good conversation, though, for each of us to, you know, to consider, like, how how would I respond and why would I respond in a particular way? And if somebody is glorifying the earth itself as if the earth itself is God, then that gives me an opportunity to sort of move to the second question, um, you know, with which an overwhelming number of people agree or overwhelming of a percentage of people agree that God gave humans a duty to protect yeah. and care for the earth. Well, God's involved there. Um, the earth is clearly created. Humans are clearly subordinate. I mean, like there's an authority conversation there. There's a duty conversation there. There's a creation uh, conversation there. There's a lot in that second question. 
And if we're going to pull one consistent thread out of this data when looking at it, I think a lot of this boils down to there's a chart about uh, maybe a third of the way down on the article, um, basically asking about whether uh, these different groups believe that climate change and responses to climate change will lead to uh government overreach and a loss of individual liberty mm. or individual freedoms. And evangelical Christians are by far the most likely group to believe that those things will be a problem in responding to climate change. Uh, and so, you know, this isn't necessarily reflect a lack of concern for the earth among evangelicals, um, but it really does reflect maybe a question of who's responsible. And so like so much of our politics these days, it comes down to what role does government have versus what role should the individual have? Yeah. Um, Daniel Bennett and I are talking about a piece posted at pewresearch.org. You can find the direct link to it in the show notes today. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio's social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Some of you are wondering uh, about the outcomes of the uh, COP27 um, UN climate conference that has been taking place in Egypt I would say it uh, essentially ended with no significant, I mean, no significant change. Um, I would say, depending on whose coverage you uh, you watch or listen to, you're going to hear people, you know, with exaggerated uh, concern on both ends of the spectrum. But, I, you know, to my reading of the outcomes of it, nothing changed. And so if you are an everything must change person, you're probably very disappointed in the outcome of the COP27 conference. And if you're a person who thinks enough is already being done or or we're on the right trajectory in terms of um, global commitments related to climate change, then you're probably thinking um, that this ended about right. Um, others are going to read um, the uh, the headlines related to commitments that the United States made to cover the cost um, of some things happening related to the climate. Um, I'm scanning now looking for uh, looking for that particular headline. I don't see it right in front of me. So I, I will circle back around and find that in a minute. All right, here we go. From the, uh, from the Wall Street Journal this morning, a deal was struck at the United Nations climate change talk on Saturday to set up a fund that would pay for climate-related damage in countries deemed particularly vulnerable. Um, and the United States uh, obviously would <clears throat> bear a significant portion of the cost of such a fund. Um, 
And so, you know, if you're a person who was looking for positive action in relationship to how developing countries are going to um, pay for their portion um, and how they are going to recover from the effects of climate change in their region, um, well, it looks like developed countries are going to be picking up the tab for that, um, which is you know, going to be a burden upon the United States of America for sure. We're talking with Daniel Bennett from John Brown University and his Uneasy Citizenship blog about things going on at the intersection of faith and political life or public life. Daniel, I was reading, um, you know, it's Native American Heritage Month. We've been talking about that a little bit uh, here on the show, talking with some Native peoples about some things happening, particularly in ministry. But I was um, I was captured by this uh, by this headline um, from Religion News related to the Apaches getting a rehearing in um, their fight to preserve a particular piece of land as sacred in Arizona. Is there anything about that you can tell us? Yeah, so uh, th- this Native American uh, community in Arizona has been opposing the development and acquisition of an almost seven square mile stretch of land near Phoenix that is uh, that is under uh, the microscope for being uh, developed into a copper mine. And they believe that this stretch of land is, speaking of sacred Carmen, is a sacred piece of land, mm-hmm. their religious pac- uh, practice. This is part of the uh, Apache tribe, which I know your listeners will be familiar with. Now, uh, so, so in many ways, this is a very prototypical religious freedom case. Uh, would a religious group or should a religious group be able to prevent the government uh, from redesignating or, uh, uh, I guess, refusing to step in uh, from a private group seeking to uh, take and uh, essentially ruin a piece of land that's sacred uh, to this community? Um, And so right now, this is uh, currently at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. It will uh, be heard in front of a full panel there. Uh, after the original Ninth Circuit decision went against the tribe, uh, circuit courts of appeal can step in and like rehear the case in front of all the judges. Um, and then, of course, the Supreme Court could still weigh in on this. I do think it's noteworthy that the organization defending the the Apache group is the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, uh, mm-hmm. which has, uh, I would in my estimation, is the most effective and probably uh, all-encompassing religious freedom advocacy group in in the U.S. today, defending Christians of all sorts, but also religious minorities. And uh, they are very much arguing that uh, Apaches win in this case would benefit religious freedom and liberty for all people, including Christians. So it's certainly something I'll be watching in the uh, in the weeks and months ahead. As you are um, considering the land, uh, hey, thanks for those of you texting in this morning. Um, you know, Rick said in at the intersection of these two conversations, he anticipated, I know, I don't think he anticipated specifically what we were going to talk about in terms of um, this, uh, this Apache question, but he said in relationship to our earth is sacred question, hey, indigenous people um, have always seen the earth as sacred. Um, and so, yeah, I think there is a there is a connecting point here in terms of the conversations of the day, opportunities to open up um, in conversations with one another. Others of you sending me all kinds of links uh, where evangelicals are engaged in uh, climate conversations and creation care conversations. Yep. Thank you so much for all of that. Um, also recognize there are lots of others who consider themselves evangelical um, who 
who don't feel the same way um, as uh, as others feel in relationship to engagement um, on issues related to the climate and climate change. These are definitely robust conversations, not only happening in the culture, but I think robust conversations that need to be happening happening increasingly in the church among Christians, particularly those of us who might characterize ourselves as evangelical. Like, what does that mean? And what does it mean, you know, in terms of my stewardship and responsibility now versus my understanding of, you know, God's sovereignty over all things and the way that he's ultimately going to bring it all to an end. I think there's a there's an ap- apocalyptic conversation to be had here for sure as well, mm. Daniel. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I just think about the ways that climate and discussions about the climate are inherently divisive among uh, all Americans, really, but especially people of faith. So, for example, um, I know that in my congregation, for example, if our pastor started talking about the need to uh, you know, be, be good stewards and guardians of the earth. I know that a lot of people in my congregation would immediately tune to, uh, wait, is he talking about climate change policy? Because that's a hoax or, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, and so I I do think churches can have this conversation, but man, just like with everything else, pastors are going to have to bear the brunt and how to talk about this and communicate this effectively with their congregations in an age when so many issues are just dividing uh, the church. And I think there is room for common ground on this, of course. It's just a matter of how to communicate that to uh, some very supportive, but also some largely skeptical audiences. Yeah, and I think a great opportunity also to get um, emerging generations of people engaged in the conversation, because they tend to think very, very differently about these issues than those of us who um, might be already of an age. I discovered, Daniel, that I'm already of an age. 80% of the global population is now younger than me or said differently, I'm now older than 80% of the global population. And so... Well, congratulations. That's a good Yeah, I guess, right? I'm like an elder now. I'm only only 54, which doesn't make me think I'm very old, but by the world, by the 8 billion people in the world, 80% of them are now younger than me. And so I think that in terms of... First of all, like responsibility, I suddenly have this like sober sense of responsibility. But then also, um, I'm learning. I'm learning. I got to listen to uh, to younger people, and I gotta I gotta recognize that you know the shift needs to begin taking place in terms of uh, handing either passing off responsibility intentionally to them or getting out of the way so that they can take responsibility for more and more things. Like that shift has got to take place. Well, we're seeing that, go. too, right now in discussions about Congress, right? How, when should the current leadership decide to step aside and allow room oh, for younger generations yes. to take, that, uh, take effect? That time, that time has clearly already passed. <laughs> <laughs> that time has already passed. All right, Daniel, thank you, as always, so much for joining us. Um, always a great, great blessing to talk with you. You guys can find Daniel at John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship blog. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We're going to talk with our good friend, Dr. Linda Mental. We're going to talk about all of the benefits of gratitude in the lead up to Thanksgiving. How do you benefit from being a person who is grateful and expresses your gratitude to God? And then Dr. Corbin Hornbeek will be back with us as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.